Hello and welcome to another episode of PawneeCast. I'm your host, Vicki Belosova, and on this episode, we're going to be talking to Dr. Stephanie Engler. She is a board-certified geriatric pharmacist and director of clinical development at CSS Health, a company that aims to improve population health through comprehensive medication management. Hello, Dr. Engler. How are you? Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Dr. B. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself professionally and personally? Of course. I went to Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences, same as Dr. B. We were actually in the same class together, so we graduated together. But I grew up in Western New York, hence why I'm back in Buffalo. Professionally, I've been actually at CSS Health, um, my current company, since my career started. The president founder of our company, Jim Natero, asked me to start this venture of a residency with him that year. And, you know, from there, things just kind of in a way that I never expected them to, but, you know, ultimately worked out in many more ways, many more positive ways than I could have ever expected them to. Would you mind telling us your favorite drug? So I'm going to be really kind of boring and say gabapentin is my favorite drug because it's a jack of all trades, but master of none, just like me. All right, all right, I'll take it. Um, Then what are you uh, reading or watching right now? Like what's your go-to thing at the moment? Oh, geez. I basically just rewatch the same thing over and over again, to be honest. I watch like Catfish, but then I'll watch Criminal Minds and then I'll watch The Baking Show. So I'm just all across the board. Like I said, Jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> In terms of books, uh, I actually just picked up a new book. It is by James Patterson. So... If you ask me, like, what do I like to read? Uh, besides all the pharmacy journals, which I'm still behind on, <laughs> that I get on a regular monthly basis, uh, I do like to read thriller books. That's probably my genre of choice. So if anyone's out there likes those sort of uh, books, I like Harlan Coben. He's pretty good. Michael Conley and James Harrison. That's my top three, my Triforce, I guess you could say of uh, thriller novels. So if anyone is also into this sort of thing, there's actually an Amazon Prime series called Bosch. And that is one of Harlan Coben's characters, if, I, if I'm if i remembering this correctly. It's pretty good. I've, I've been going through that very slowly but surely <laughs> between everything else that I watch. But if you're interested in those sort of things, um, highly recommend those three authors and also recommend if you like more of the visual moving picture sort of version, you know, Bosch on Amazon Prime. Always good to have uh, both because sometimes you just can't concentrate on a book after a while. Your brain's just My brain there. is never here. Yeah. We just want to watch people bake really nice pies. Oh, yes. Especially, it's much better if I could actually have the pie, though. Like, it would be better if they could just serve me the pie. <laughs> yeah, that would be lovely to just push a button and have it come out of your TV. So can you tell us a fun fact about you? Oh, not that I didn't just give you a bunch of fun facts about me, but good fun fact about me, I played roller derby for a hot minute. <laughs> I learned to roller skate when I was super, super young. I was probably skating a good three to five times a week up until I was 18. After that, you know, didn't really skate as much. But then once I got out of college, I picked up roller derby. Where do you do roller derby? So free plug. The organization I skate with is called Queen City Roller Derby or QCRD. Right now, we're still on a break because of COVID. 
But, you know, they've started to open up practices, starting to, you know, do some non-contact work to get everybody, you know, conditioned back up. Um, I transitioned probably like two, three years ago into more of an officiating. Fun fact, I broke my leg doing roller derby, hence why I don't, <laughs> don't play anymore. That's, yeah, a, fun that's a fun story. Save that for a different podcast. <laughs> but so, even if you're a person that you know, doesn't know how to skate, doesn't feel as comfortable being on wheels, there's a lot of different opportunities to officiate. You know, it's a great community. Met some, uh, some of uh, my very good friends through there. I also have been playing kickball and dodgeball. So um, that is a different league. <laughs> that is not on skates. <laughs> Um, <laughs> thankfully, that's thankfully. Sport. Can you imagine me playing dodgeball and skate? <laughs> yes, of course you can. But that organization, that is Varsity Gay League. So, or VGL, another really great organization. And, you know, anybody is welcome to join regardless of your orientation or how you identify. We accept everybody. Super fun group of people. And, you know, it, it, it is really just kind of an amateur sports league. We just kick a ball around and have fun. So that has been also what I've been doing in between, you know, Derby. Why not have more things to do? Right. But I, I, I do want to plug them because they're a wonderful community. Nice, yeah. More great ways to get rid of that stress from work. Yes, that. <laughs> Speaking of work, uh, so can you tell us a little bit more about CSS Health and the type of work that you do there? Sure. So I'll start with this. CSS Health is actually a software company, surprisingly enough. So us being a software company, you don't classically think of that as an area of pharmacy, right? But what makes us, you know, clinical is the fact that it is a medication management software. We actually have, you know, uh, you can almost consider it like an EMR and EHR or electronic health record where, you know, various different clientele can either license our software. So they have their own internal staff that runs their medication management program and they just use our software for documentation and to guide the workflow for their programs. Or we have clients that hand pretty much all the work over to us, which we call a full service client. And they basically say, here's our population. Here's our money. Please help us improve the health of our patients. And a lot of our clients are health plans, but we do work with a lot of other clientele. We work with PBMs, your pharmacy benefit managers. We work with colleges pharmacy too. We also work with individual pharmacies. All of these clientele, they all had the same goal in mind, improve the health of their patients. And how do I do that? You know, I have to really analyze my patient on a clinical level and determine where are the gaps in their care and how do I resolve those gaps in their care, whether it's I need to counsel them properly, which is you know, baseline for a pharmacist, we need to know how to counsel, but then it can go as complexly. Is that even a word? Com complex? <laughs> as complex? As complex, probably. Yeah. Uh, as you can see, I was not an English major. <laughs> Science was my thing. But um, so you can take it even more complex as to do I need to coordinate the care between a patient and their healthcare provider? Do I need to get that patient to the emergency room or the hospital immediately because they're having an immediate issue? And you can see there's such a wide range of different things you can do within patient care. So I guess this is kind of a segue into the next part of, you know, what do I actually do on a regular basis working at a software company? I I don't dispense. It's, that's very far from what I do. And I don't typically, it's not like I'm doing codes like that. That's also something I do not do. 
But other than that, the sky's the limit in terms of what I do. I can complete what we call comprehensive medication reviews. You might hear called CMRs. Those are what Medicare Part D actually mandates. You have to talk uh, to so many patients per year to review their medications and counsel them. To be honest, I haven't really done a CMR in a very long time, but that was at where I started. So that's a good understanding of kind of where I started. Now, because I got that foundation in understanding how do I communicate effectively with patients? How do I effectively communicate with other healthcare providers and my peers? Now, how do I translate that into a software? How do I teach other people how to do what I did. Mm -hmm. That's where I started transitioning more into what I call the software side. It's not that I have computer science background. I don't. I don't have a computer science degree or anything. I, I don't know how to code. I don't know how to make applications. But what I do have is a pretty solid understanding of problem solving and analytics. And that's really where mm -hmm. I kind of jump into the software. No, software on its own is not smart enough to be a pharmacist. If it was, we'd all be out of the job. <laughs> we'd all, we, we right, wouldn't be right. here today. But a software can learn to be a pharmacist if a pharmacist teaches it how to do that. And that's really mm -hmm. my biggest role right now is to program the software to think like a pharmacist, be able to look at a person's chart and identify key gaps in their care or key issues with their care. So um, if you think about it in the sense of, say, a logic statement where you say, if a patient is diabetic and they do not have a statin on board, then look for any contraindications to statins that would make this a reasonable um, situation for this patient. But if not, then I need to recommend to the doctor and the patient to get together and talk about statin therapy because we know that's a mainstay mm -hmm. of diabetic care. So you're essentially a teacher for this program. Yes. Basically, I do a lot of teaching, <laughs> a lot of teaching. But, you know, if you think about things in the sense of a logic statement, that's really what I'm doing on a daily basis. I think of things in like flow charts and my job is to tell the software things that I know are important based on clinical guidelines. I also need to take into consideration what our clients are looking for too. So, you know, we have clinical guidelines in the medical literature. I'm reading them pretty much all the time. So um, I just finished reading up uh, all the, all of the different guidelines on oncology. So, oh boy. Yeah. But uh, you know me, I, I just can't seem to get away from that because it's on my board. It was one of my rotations. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I keep coming back to oncology, but I'm not getting board certified in that. <laughs> Geriatrics was fine. Too much. Too much. That, that might be taking a bit, uh, a bit too far, but I sit in front of a computer all day and I'm just basically problem solving all these different things that we have to think about when we're doing patient care from a medication standpoint, from a disease state standpoint, from, you know, a patient standpoint too. So we have the solidification from, you know, the guidelines, but what about specific client requests that they may have? So I get into some aspects of formulary benefit management. Clients will say, hey, you know, I really prefer this drug on my formulary. Can you flag all the patients that aren't are on an alternative so I can switch them to my preferred agent. I have to think about things from that standpoint. I do research on it for them. If a client says, my utilization within this drug class is just outrageous, what can I do to really minimize the impact of that on my total drug spend? And 
I can do the research on that too. Sometimes they tell me exactly what they want is, and that's simple. Some, uh, I like those sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what really gets me going and gets me excited about my job is that level of sleuthing that I have to do on a regular basis. So like today, um, today we're working on cholesterol, lots of dyslipidemia. And, you know, I, I'm pretty much like diving into Lexicomp. I'm diving into the ACC guidelines. I'm diving into just like PubMed and just pouring over pages of stuff. <laughs> Some people may say that sounds terribly boring, but it really isn't to me. That level mm-hmm. of research and that level of using your clinical chops to figure out what is the best thing I can do for my patient universally and then take it down to what about their health plan? What about you know who's covering them? Is there some sort of caveat I have to keep in mind for that? We have like a care assessment within the software and that guides you through the patient care process. In all reality, uh, no one actually ever sits down and does an MTM for an hour. Let, let's just be transparent here. No one actually does an hour long MTM. You know, in our business, you have to be efficient and effective with your patients. Guaranteed, you know, there are some patients that you will need to spend an hour of time with. That has happened to me before where I actually did have a patient that I spent, I think it was an hour and a half with. But reason being is that you know, they just didn't have the opportunity to sit down with their actual doctor and their actual pharmacist in person and go through all the different aspects of their care. And this was a patient that really wanted to know the aspects of their care. They didn't just want to know, oh, I have high blood pressure, take this pill and you'll feel better. They wanted to know what makes my blood pressure go high and what can I do to mitigate my blood pressure from spiking. How does this medication actually work? Like I'm taking it and I know it lowers my blood pressure, but how does it lower my blood pressure? That is when I learned how to explain the (laughs) angiotensin pathway. Not easy, but it was super fun because it was a combination Mm -hmm. of, you know, clinical knowledge and also really challenging my communication skills. I can talk to providers all I want, but we really do center on patient care. So if I don't communicate things effectively to patients, they're not going to understand what their responsibilities are, how to really take care of themselves. And, you know, unless we had a pharmacist buddy system for every single patient, there's no way you can just follow them all at home. They need to know what to do at home. You're essentially kind of filling that gap for the pharmacist. They can't necessarily be in clinics with patients all the time due to lack of funding or not enough, you know, job opportunities for pharmacists in those areas. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. I essentially program a software to be clinical all day long and I'm figuring out the best ways of communicating those things to um, to patients and providers because I'm creating the tools mm-hmm. that our actual clinicians will use to talk to patients, to talk to providers, regardless of, you know, who's doing the review, whether it's one of our internal pharmacists or pharmacists that's in a different state, works for a different company, the patient's going to get the same level of service, level of education, understanding. So creating that consistency. So you kind of talked a little bit about how you got into the position. You said you did a residency there after completing pharmacy school and you kind of jumped up the ranks. That's a good way of putting it. But um, to even preface all that, I did a rotation with CSS doing direct patient care plus everything else that I was doing really helped me figure out what I wanted to do because I was one of those late bloomers. I didn't really figure out what my job was going to be after graduation until my rotation at CSS. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, that was also the year that Jim, Dr. Notero was going to start a residency as well. So, you know, some things just kind of fall into place 
I did my residency for a year and then I transitioned into, I believe it was MTM pharmacist. I've had so many title changes. I couldn't even tell you what they are any, anymore, to be honest. But, you know, I transitioned into basically um, an MTM pharmacist and from there really kind of rolled into what role I have now, which is that director of clinical development. So what's your favorite thing about your position? Everything. That's great to hear. I do like everything I do. So I've been fortunate enough to, you know, use my clinical skills on a daily basis, which I think is one of my baseline things that I really wanted. I really want a job where I could use my clinical skills, apply them to, you know, individual patients, population health, and mm-hmm. feel like I'm really making a difference in patient care. That's what keeps me warm and fuzzy at night. Who needs a blanket when you can just fill yourself with patient care, warm and fuzzies? Title of the episode, Warm, warm and fuzzies. fuzzies. Oh, yes. It, really challenges my mind on a daily basis. No two days are ever the same. I never know what I'm really walking into. It's I could get a new problem from a client one day. Then we take a lot of rotation students, five students right now, and we we love them all. But some days I'm just teaching all day. I'm teaching students about clinical knowledge items, patient communication skills, provider communication skills. The favorite thing about my position is really just being able to use my clinical skills and just the interactions that I have with a patient or one of my peers or one of our students. Mm-hmm. You know, it's feeling like I'm making a difference. I think that's what everyone kind of wants out of their jobs at the end of the day. So it's good that you get that. And every day is, is new and you get to practice to the top of your license, as one of our lab instructors used to say. So you uh, mentioned your interactions with patients. So can you share any uh, memorable patient encounters? I think I already kind of did. So that patient that I was on the phone with <laughs> just explaining everything about every single drug mm-hmm. that they were taking. I will never forget that patient. And I think that also solidified the importance of being able to communicate effectively with patients. We're so used to in school, just talking peer to peer. And we're so used to talking just in our medical terminology, our own little language almost, that we forget that person in front of us doesn't necessarily have that level of training. Uh, So, you know, talking over their heads is not going to do them any good. And what's going to make them feel better and make them actually get healthy and um, stay healthy is to bring things down to their level where they're going to understand it. Like here's a stat and it works by, you know, preventing HMG CoA reductase. Huh? Right. You don't communicate with a, <laughs> with a patient like that. They don't, they don't necessarily care. Like it's an HMG CoA reductase, whatever. They care more about taking this drug because it lowers my cholesterol. And even if my cholesterol may be normal. I'm still taking it and it's important to take it because it helps prevent me from having a heart event, like a heart attack, a stroke. Mm-hmm. And that speaks to them. I can't say I'll ever meet someone that's like, yeah, I want to have a heart attack today. That sounds like fun. No one, <laughs> no one's going to say that to you. But that's why letting patients know, even though you may have normal cholesterol, we're giving you this cholesterol medication because we don't want you to have a stroke. That's important. I always tell my students that Regardless of where you're going to be working, your essential role is a teacher to tell people stuff about medications. So you have mm-hmm. to know how to properly deliver that information. Yeah. Patient-friendly language. And, you know, if you're going to use a medical terminology, so for instance, anemia, that one's kind of hard to get around. But you need to be able to explain what is anemia to a patient. It has to do with your blood cells. 
what does a white blood cell do? What is a red blood cell? And breaking it down into pieces that they're going to understand. What advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue a career similar to yours? For my career, I went through college saying I didn't want to do retail. I was more leaning towards hospital. But then when I went into my rotation year, I said, I want to be back at home, but I also want to have the opportunity to try a lot of different things, really kind of figure out what what speaks to me, what things really get you excited about being a pharmacist. Because then you'll be able to really craft what is your ideal position. Not everyone's going to have an ideal position that looks like mine. And I'm not offended. That's fine. But that's going to be individualized based on what you figure out about yourself as a pharmacist, what you mm-hmm. really want out of your career. And, you know, always keep your eyes and ears open. Opportunities will sometimes disappear out of nowhere. Yeah. And so, you know, create those relationships, create those connections, whether it's your preceptors, your fellow students, with your teachers, whoever it may Creating a network of pharmacists around you is really important. And also mm-hmm. pharmacy is really small in Buffalo. Yeah, it really, really is. That actually tied in great into the next question, which was what advice could you impart on our audience? Always do your best. Not just always do your best personally, but do your best for your patients. Do your best for your peers. Just always practice at the top of your game. But if you walk in every day and say, I'm going to make a difference, I'm going to do something important today. And I know that today's going to be a good day because I have a goal in mind. And my goal Mm -hmm. is bettering patient care. I don't necessarily do it just because my company tells me I have to do really well. I mean, of course, like I want to do well at my job. That's that's never a question. But My mentality is I want to do even better at my job for myself personally, for everyone around me. There's a lot of people that depend on me, whether it's my coworkers, but most importantly, my patients. My patients depend on me to do my job properly. That really is such a fantastic message. Just do the thing and do it well. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. That was very insightful. Got a lot of uh, great little inspirational tidbits and uh, learned quite a lot about what you do. Of course, you know where to find me. If our listeners would like to find you, where can they find you? Perhaps to ask more questions. I mean, they can they can email me. <laughs> I mean, they can always just send you a carrier pigeon too. And then the carrier true. pigeon will come find me. But no, in, in all honesty, if anyone does have questions, you can email me at my work email. So basically my first initial and my last name at Health. All righty. And we'll put that in the show notes for uh, easy access. So thank you again. You are very welcome, Dr. B. If you have any feedback on either this episode or any other episode, feel free to email us directly at pawneycast at gmail.com. You can connect directly with the Pharmacists Association of Western New York by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash and through our website at pawneyrx.org. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcasting app if you haven't subscribed already. And while you're there, be sure to leave a review to help others learn about the show. Thank you for listening. I hope you had as much fun as we did while we were recording. Stay safe, happy, and healthy, and we'll catch you next time. Yes, we get snow. And yes, you know, it's inconvenient, but at this point, I feel like people here drive better in snow than they drive in non-snow condition. I think a part of it also is that just like it's a thing that you complain about. It's kind of like go Bills and, you know, who cares about snow? Like go Bills, uh-huh. it'll snow. It's just a, <laughs> that's, that's the motto. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it.